the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We've lived in your name, and now we feel as if somehow you're MIA, and (laughs) that the decline of society and the lack of status and influence that we're feeling these days is is maybe God's part. And so then oftentimes maybe the huge stumbling block where the church, instead of standing strong in our faith— takes on the viewpoint that, well, if you can't beat them, join them, and suddenly compromise creeps in. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the story of liberal Christianity. I mean, certainly in in the United Kingdom, uh, where uh, the pastors lost a conviction about the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible, that then became apparent to the members of their congregation, who, if if those people held true to the Scriptures, would have to go and find some other place to worship, and those who were quite happy to compromise found they were part of an ever-diminishing uh, company of individuals. And so the same is true if you go back to Scotland today. Uh, the church after church building is completely dark. Uh, there's a small number of people there, often very old people. And yet, if you go to uh, Edinburgh, if you go to Aberdeen, if you go to Glasgow, if you go to some of the rural areas in Scotland, and you find uh, they may not be huge congregations, but they're vibrant congregations, and they, they transcend all the age ranges, and you say, what is it that makes them uh, strong in this context? And the answer is the same in every place, that they are convinced that the Word of God does the work of God by the power of the Spirit of God. And where that conviction remains even though the numbers may not be dramatic. Nevertheless, God is at work. And we, we, we're going to have to learn that here in America. I'm convinced of that. I, I'm, I'm not in any doubt about it at all. And, you know, it, it, it raises the question. So often there's this sense that the world is looking for our approval, and they want us to simply capitulate and tell them where they're at, what they do, how they believe, how they act is okay. But in reality, isn't the real truth here that the world doesn't need our approval? What the world needs is our example. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and what what it needs is our gospel. It needs it needs good news. I mean, it needs it needs the the story that is that is the great narrative that is missing. I mean, one of the one of the obvious factors in uh, our, our culture at the moment is the is the collapsing of of any meaningful framework for understanding anything, understanding where we came from, understanding why we exist, understanding where we're going, uh, you know, looking at ourselves in the mirror and understanding uh, sexuality, uh, coming to an understanding of what it means to be a man or a woman, the nature of family, marriage. I mean, the things that are pressing in upon us uh, challenge the very heartthrob of, if you like, a godly framework of existence. And the, the temptation, as you say, Craig, is either to curl up in a ball and wait for it all to pass or to take arms against the sea of troubles and just become militant and particularly in a political framework. Um, but uh, hopefully uh, we're, we're beginning to understand that the kingdom that we are seeking to uh, advance and seek uh, is, is, not, is not an earthly kingdom, as Jesus said. You know, if it was, then my followers would fight. 
the reason that they're not fighting is not because there isn't something to fight about, but because this is not the fight. And uh, I think one of the one of the opportunities that this uh, uh, climate creates is to find out who the people are that really have a conviction about the gospel. And uh, I think it's Tozer who talked about, you know, when the heat is turned up, you find out who the chocolate soldiers are because they will melt in the face of the battle. And uh, so, uh, you know, here, here we go. Bad for the country, good for the church. On this edition of Lifeline, our conversation with Pastor Alistair Begg from Truth For Life. A brief time out, back to more of our dialogue as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our visit with Pastor Alistair Begg, speaker on Truth For Life, heard weekday mornings here on KFAX. Pastor Begg, I want to pick up where we left off just a moment ago. And yet, you know, it's interesting because this has presented quite a quandary and a distraction for many in the church who at one time uh, felt confident to a degree in arguing the truth of the gospel. And instead, today, we find ourselves in an ever-increasing environment where we're simply arguing whether or not truth exists or can there be multiple truths coexisting at the same time. In the book, Alistair, you, you make a point inside the pages of Brave by Faith to indicate that the notion of Christianity and a Christian God is is incompatible in a pluralistic worldview, and yet we live in an ever-increasingly pluralistic society where there are multiple truths, quote-unquote, residing side by side. Why is there such incompatibility with this notion? Well, I, I, just in listening to your question, I mean, we realized that, once again, this is not a new circumstance. If you think about... If you think about the Roman Empire, and if you think about the Pantheon, and you think about all the gods there, or if you take the Greek culture, and, uh, and Paul going among them and saying, you know, I can see that you're a very religious group of people because you've got all these different shrines and monuments and things, and I want to proclaim to you the one true and living God. That's exactly what we're going to have to say. And we have to remember that when we say that, truth is on our side. Uh, that God has set eternity in the hearts of all of our friends and our work colleagues, that they know, having been made in the image of God, that there is something more that extends beyond this life. They know equally that they're completely unprepared for whatever that may be. They are susceptible to the idea that the answer might be found in some form of Eastern mysticism or whatever else it is. And the reason for its attraction is in part because it allows you to live whatever way you want to live, while at the same time engaging in some kind of form of spirituality. Well, in actual fact, that is essentially Gnosticism, which is alive and well within the framework of contemporary Christianity here in America. If you think about it, the level of sexual incontinence amongst those who are professing Christian people is a, is a travesty, it's, it's a tragedy, it's absolutely wrong. And so the world looks on and says, well, I don't see why you would be concerned about this particular area of, of the issue, when after all, look at your lives. So it, it's, a, it's a time, if you like, for judgment to begin at the house of God, so that we might then be organized and prepared uh, to tackle the challenges and the opportunities that the, that the moment provides. 
And of course, in doing so, in in capturing that moment, as you suggest, there is some degree to which, uh, because of some of our outward behavior in in recent times, there's almost the feeling that our testimony has been compromised. And and oftentimes, a Christian will react to that by kind of digging their heels in, and, and in doing so, creating a very combative environment that makes it ever increasingly difficult to try to live out our faith and reach others and make disciples for Christ. How, how do we go about, as even in Daniel had his challenges, in, in being able to um, engage in dialogue with authority, even authority with whom he significantly disagreed with, and, and still come out with a sense of that, that integrity, that testimony intact? Well, it is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, the, the, when, when uh, Paul writes to Titus, who's a, who's a, you know, a pastor in Crete, you know, he says to them, you need to make sure that you remind your people to be good, to be good, uh, that they should be keen to do good, that they should be seen to be good, they, that they need to realize that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to the kind of lifestyle that would actually be attractive. I think you're right, Craig, that one of the reasons that people can justifiably uh, push against us is because we perhaps have said uh, we're very keen to make sure that we underpin the integrity of our message, but the integrity of the message has to be matched by the integrity of the messenger. And again, that's where Daniel is a wonderful example, because uh, his his conviction about the things of God uh, meant that he was unprepared to compromise uh, when he could have rationalized it. Uh, you're, you're not allowed to pray for 30 days. Well, he could have said, well, what's 30 days in a lifetime? I mean, I'm sure God wouldn't mind if I just gave up for 30 days. But no, no, he says, no, if it matters, it matters. And that kind of um, understanding of the distinctive nature of what it means to belong to God is something that um, has, has, if you like, been leaking consistently over arguably the last, uh, you know, two or three decades within the framework of evangelical Christianity. And that's why I say I don't think this is a time for alarm as much as it's a time for assessment and to really look at where we are and how we want to go forward and how we want to help our children and our grandchildren uh, who will outlive us in this, in this journey. And really then a matter of not just strengthening our faith, but also strengthening our conviction. And that takes us back full circle to the title of the book, Brave by Faith. Now, we often will hear, Alistair, uh, pastors from the pulpit encouraging us to live by faith, walk by faith, engage our faith. But the book title, quite intentional, when you speak of Brave by Faith, uh, kind of unpack that for us, if you would, please. Well, you know, if you think again of uh, the way in which the exhortations of Scripture come, you know, so when when Paul exhorts Timothy, you know, to preach the word, uh, he, he says to him, uh, "Be uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might." So he's not just saying to him, "Come on now, uh, man up, be strong, be brave." Now he's saying uh, the way in which that will take place is in the Lord, in the provision that he makes for us. Because if we're honest, most of us are, all of us actually are frail. It, we all like to be, to be uh, approved in the, in the conversations that happen in our office or in our lab or whatever else it is. And we're fearful in this climate. 
I mean, do you realize how hard it is to say something like, you know, uh, if you were born as a man, you will die as a man, no matter what you do to yourself in the interim? You say, wow, are you really going to say that? Well, actually, the person who wrote that most recently was a secular journalist in the UK. It wasn't a Christian. It wasn't the Archbishop of Canterbury. I'm not sure that he's brave enough to say that. And so uh, when we talk about bravery, we're not talking about like pulling our socks up and trying to do our best, but we're acknowledging that God has put his treasure in old clay pots so that the power would be seen to belong to God and not to us. And so that's what we're trying to say, that the bravery is not something that we muster up, but rather that in the same way that uh, we are saved by faith, uh, so we are enabled to be brave by faith. Do we also have to better embrace the notion, the, the old adage that we are in the world but not of the world? I'm, I'm struck by the fact that the, the subtitle to your new book, Brave by Faith, is God-sized confidence in a post-Christian world. Are there certain realities that the church is struggling with in terms of the environment around us that we need to do a better job at, at coming to accept and then acting on that faith? You know, part of it is, uh, I'm not sure that we, well, when you say come to accept, I mean, I, I, I would say, yeah, we have to acknowledge that. I'm not so sure we have to just keep accepting it. You know, for example, you know, we have members of our congregation who are involved uh, in local school boards or who are involved on the boards of hospitals and things where significant questions are being raised and the groundswell is, is in an... Um, anti-Christian direction. And so we want to be, I want as a pastor to try somehow or another and encourage my congregation to be prepared in those contexts to say, hey, wait a minute, uh, th that is not actually uh, as factual as we are being led to believe. Or have you considered the possibility of the downside of this? And again, uh, to do so in a way that is... Uh, uh, acknowledging the challenge, but at the same time not shirking the responsibility. Uh, but if you're not there, you, you can't bring your voice to bear. The idea that it's all going to be done politically from the top down is, is, is never worked that way. And the work of God has always been from the ground up, not from the top down. The conversion of Constantine in the third century uh, is one of the great questions of church history. Uh, did it help or did it hinder? And we could debate that for a while, but it certainly changed everything, and suddenly it became kind of okay to be one of those Christians. Whereas for the first 250 years, uh, you know, if you were prepared to declare the claims of Jesus, uh, and you were not prepared to include Jesus in the Roman pantheon, then they would probably either throw you to the lions or turn you upside down and stick you in the ground and set fire to you. Yeah, rightfully so. And, and, yeah. And, 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 and so why is it that we believe unlike our brothers and sisters in North Korea, or let's say in Albania, or in parts of Sub-Saharan Africa, why is it that we believe that somehow or another, as Americans, we get a free pass for everything? Everybody else does the suffering, everybody else has to face the challenges, everybody else goes to jail. Why? It doesn't, it, there's no logic to that at all. And that's not to say we don't rejoice in the freedoms that we've had, but it does say that if those freedoms are removed, then we will have to be prepared to be brave 
by faith. A wake-up call, a call to renew our faith, to live, as Alistair Begg puts it, brave by faith. God-sized confidence in a post-Christian world. A new book, by the way, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. Of course, you can also order it online at truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org, newly published by The Good Book Company. Alistair Begg, thank you so much for the time and the insights. Craig, thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. All the best to you. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, you know, every year during the 1st of January, so often many of us will look to resolutions. We'll promise ourselves everything from trying to get more exercise, to lose weight, to perhaps uh, be more dutiful at being involved in ministry at church, spending more time with our wife, our kids, all of these things which are certain key and important to life. When we think about the big questions about life, one of the big questions perhaps that most of us struggle at one point or another to try to gain an answer to, and that is understanding specifically what God wants of us, through us, and in our lives, essentially trying to understand what is his will for my life. As we enter in this new season of new beginnings here in the typical January, learning how to reach your full potential for God, certainly no stranger to the KFAX listeners. He is the host of In Touch, heard weekday afternoons at 4 p.m. here on KFAX, and pleased to have with us today Dr. Charles Stanley. And uh, Pastor, great to have you on the program. Well, delighted to be with you, Craig. Can we think about, again, New Year's and new beginnings and resolutions and so forth? I can't imagine any bigger question than most of us can ask ourselves. And maybe it's one that we ask not only at the beginning of, of a new year, but at certain uh, key marks in life, be it uh, when we get married, when we retire, when we find a new job, when we perhaps are going to become a parent. And that is struggling to answer this question, learn more about what God wants of us and how to fully reach our potential for God. Well, what he wants above everything else in our life is a personal, intimate relationship with himself. Everything else he can do. But that is something we have to yield to with him. And when you think about all the ways that he works in our life, ultimately, that's his will. And so he's willing, because that's his purpose and his will, he's willing to do whatever's necessary in our life to enable us to develop that relationship. And when that relationship is right, everything else is going to get right, because the truth is, Every aspect of our life flows out of and is influenced and impacted by a personal relationship with Him. So when somebody says, well, I don't know the will of God for my life, you can know, because if He has a will, He certainly isn't going to keep it a secret. He's willing to show us if we're willing to submit ourselves. And I think a lot of people want to know the will of God in order to consider it not to do it, and God doesn't play those kind of games. You know, and it's interesting, I think about uh, so many of us that as we came to Christ, if uh, perhaps a friend or a loved one uh, shared the gospel message with us, so one of the the four key steps to salvation, understanding that God has a plan for our life, and of course, that goes beyond simply the relationship and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and walking in fellowship with Him, but then ultimately into what it is that He wants to do in us and through us, and I found it interesting in some of your opening remarks to Thomas Nelson book, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never never Settle for Less Than His Best. You talk about the fact that God impressed upon your heart that to understand fully what God wants to do in us and through us, you have to approach this at the get-go with a clean heart, a clear mind, and a balanced schedule. I have to tell you, those three items alone caught my attention. Well, that's the way it is. And I woke up one morning about three o'clock and out of a dead sleep, and it's like the Lord said, do you want to reach your full potential for your life? And I said, well, sure. And so I thought I didn't know what was going on, but I pulled out a pad and a pen, and I keep it on my bed. And so 
as I began to just be quiet and listen, the Lord just laid out all seven of those points uh, to me very clearly. And when you think about it, I, I thought, well, now, am I sure this is of God? And I looked at him again and again, and I thought, yes, because this is the way he thinks. First of all, a clean heart and a clear mind. In other words, and a balanced schedule, that is, that he has the proper time that he needs to work in our life. And if my, if my, heart's, not, if my heart's not clean, my mind is not going to really be clear. And I'm not going to operate in my life on his schedule. And when I operate on his schedule, we can't do our best, and we won't do our best. So, so much of this really reaching our full potential in the Lord, whatever that might be, and certainly it, it's different for all of us. God gives and grants to each and every one of us different skills, talents, abilities, and, and goals. But in order to fully reach that, we really have to be walking in uh, the fullness of his fellowship then, don't we? This needs to be an intimate kind of relationship with the Lord that can't be something that's just sort of approached casually. Absolutely. And this is why I said in the very beginning, our personal intimate relationship with him impacts everything. When that's right, I'm, I'm going to have a clear mind about his will for my life. I'm going to understand his schedule for my life. I'm going to have right relationships. I'm going to be willing to take risks for him. And things will fall in place. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy, but it means that no matter what I face, I'm going to come through it. I'm going to come through it successfully because in order to do that, you've got to submit yourself to the will of God. And submitting yourself to the will of God isn't always easy, because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. They think, well, I want to do the will of God, but suppose he asks me to do this, or suppose he asks me to do that. Because he's a God of love, he's only going to require us what is best for us. And my unwillingness to do what he says is because I don't trust him to love me enough to just choose the best. I would imagine in your many, many years in pulpit ministry and as pastor, uh, this question has been brought before you time and time again, this question. Well, pastor, I just don't understand what is God's will for my life. And I would suspect then that part of this answer for a lot of people that struggle with that is the notion that they're fearful. Well, gee, you know, if I really pursue God, what if God asked me to become a missionary on the foreign mission field or or do something that I don't really feel cut out to do? Does God do things like that? I mean, is he, is he of the character that he's going to surprise? us and, and call us to do something that we're neither inclined to do or even equipped to do? There are some things he's going to do that's going to surprise us, all right, but they're coming from the perspective that, that God's motivation is judgment and punishment and testing me and trying me when God's motivation is love. Now, if he wants to send somebody to the mission field, that isn't God doing something bad for them. That's God giving them an opportunity, but it always goes back to what is my attitude toward God? In other words, do I see him as a heavenly father who loves me, who has saved me, who wants to show me his will, provide my needs, test me, try me, yes, but all of that to grow me up and become the person he wants me to be. And those periods of testing and trial are for our good. And it's interesting. I've always thought the passage of Scripture where we're reminded that God will give us the desires of our heart, but in another passage that we are encouraged to keep our mind and our heart focused on him. And so if we put him first in life, and he is the central, he is uh, our our heart's desire, so to speak, uh, that as he comes to fulfill those desires in the end, this will be something that will not only give glory to his name, but also much delight to us. And I guess in the end, when we talk about determining what he wants for us and discovering and reaching our full potential for him, uh, in the end becomes not only a delight for the Lord, but a delight unto us as well. And when he says if we delight ourselves in him, I think most folks don't realize 
that he must be central in our life, that if I'm delighting myself in him, then my decisions are going to be based always on this. What's pleasing to God? What is his will in this situation? What would he have me to do? Not what do I want to do and then want to make him fit my plan. Well, what do you say then, Pastor, to the person who says, but Pastor Stanley, you don't understand. I'm so average. I'm plain. There's nothing really special about me. I, I don't have the ability of, of, of great oratory skills to get on the radio or up in a pulpit and proclaim the word of God. I, I don't have a degree in anything. I'm, I'm just kind of an average Joe. Um, how could God ever possibly use me? I think many people have asked that question. Probably everybody who's ever accomplished anything has asked that at some point. But the issue is not uh, comparing ourselves with others. We think about what we have and don't have, and we're comparing ourselves with others. The question is, what has God given me, and what is God able to do with what he has given me? And the truth is, we would say, well, God is does the impossible. But many people have problems with this because they have a poor self-image. Uh, they have... Uh, a poor uh, image of what they're capable of doing. They have lots of fears. They're, they're afraid to fail. They're afraid of what people are going to say, a criticism. And so a lot of that negative thinking is the result of their attitudes that have no real scriptural basis whatsoever. God wants the best, will provide the best. All he's looking for is submission to his will and let him decide what he wants to do with us. And you know, so much of this comes back down to, I think, one of the central points when we talked earlier about a clean heart, clear mind, and a balanced schedule. That that word balance is so key to this. Uh, speaking to uh, Jim Dobson uh, on the occasion of his retirement from full-time ministry and looking back over the course of 30 years of ministry with focus on the family and, of course, the big question, could you ever have imagined in the 1970s when you began with one little radio station down in Southern California that this ministry would ever grow to the level and potential that it has to become now this international outreach. And of course, the response, if I had known what this would have grown to, I would have been scared to death and too afraid to start it. I think sometimes we need to realize that it's good if we have a sense that we aren't fully capable, that we can't do it in and all of ourselves, because if we felt otherwise, then there would be in many levels no sense or no need for God. Absolutely. And I think the spirit, the spirit of, of inadequacy that is based on a true genuine understanding of who God is and His holiness is always healthy. And once we step out of line with that sense of personal inadequacy, uh, pride, arrogance, and everything else gets in the way, and we're not going to be able to be used by God. He's not going to use arrogance. Dr. Charles Stanley, my guest on this edition of Lifeline, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Settle for Less Than His Best, published by Thomas Nelson. We'll take a brief time out when we come back, learning how to move beyond the settled for life, as our conversation with Dr. Charles Stanley continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And welcome back to Lifeline, our conversation with Pastor Charles Stanley, host of In Touch Ministries. Of course, the program comes your way each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And more information on the web at intouch.org. And it's interesting, Pastor Stanley, I think for so many of us, as we go through certain high watermarks in life, and this might be times of uh, perhaps a marriage or a divorce or death of a spouse, a loss of a job or retiring or even becoming a new parent, uh, these times and occasions when we struggle with the question of what does God want from us? What does he want of us? How can we reach our full potential? And then sometimes I think, unfortunately, we get we get discouraged. We get bogged down by the challenges and obstacles of life. And we end up settling for less than his very best. How can we how can we move past that settled for kind of life? What we have to do, one of the first things is this, and that is to recognize who we are from God's perspective. We are one of his children 
created in his image to bring him glory and honor. And he has promised that he will be with us, enable us, encourage us, provide for us, no matter what, in every circumstance. And when I think about how many people can quote Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who call to go into his purpose, oftentimes people will quote that, but they don't believe it about themselves. Mm. And they are willing to settle for far less because, for a number of reasons, sometimes, as we said, they're fear of failure, sometimes they're just lazy. They're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to submit themselves to the Lord's way and His will in their life. And so they settle for less than that. Then they become very angry oftentimes or very discouraged and, and always want to blame it on somebody else. We have to take responsibility for our life and recognize that God is very involved in our life and that whatever our needs are, He will supply if we submit to His will and do it His way. I would imagine one of the big... Um big obstacles to achieving that sense of, of full potential and enjoying that, that inner drive and that enthusiasm for life and, and what you do in and through the Lord is the roadblock of being unwilling to surrender fully to Him, would you think? Absolutely. I do believe that that is the major issue and that one willingness to surrender is either selfishness from our part, we want our way, or fear of what God may require of us. And oftentimes, people will head in that direction and then just begin to doubt and they give up and just say well i can't do it or who am i as we said a few moments ago what can i do what has god done for me and every person has gifts every person has talents and abilities some people are willing to employ them and take the risk of failure or criticism and some people are just not willing to do it we talked a moment ago about some of those important life junctures uh, and i think perhaps there's some of those high watermark points in life when it's it's always healthy to um, sort of take account of where we're at not only in our relationship with christ our relationship with our children our spouse and to make sure that we're indeed on track for for the plan that he has for us you know we're told in scripture that that he's begun a good work in us that he will complete that through our days but i i think it's important perhaps as we hit some of those important timelines in life, whether we're, we're beginning out in a new marriage, maybe we've just gone through a pain of divorce through no fault of our own, and now we're struggling with that. Maybe we've lost a spouse. Is it important, Pastor Stanley, at those moments to sit down and kind of take a fresh account of not only where we're at in our relationship with him, but also to not only make sure we're on track for what he wants for us and wants to do through us, but also maybe to ask the question, maybe God wants to take us in a, a different direction with new goals at those junctures? I think you're absolutely correct, and because there are situations and circumstances where we have to make changes. We have to make changes about the way we think, changes about our schedule, changes, for example, about what we think is His will and purpose and plan for our life. And those times are very, very important because so often a person's life takes a turn uh, for the good or maybe not for the good as a result of maybe just ignoring the seriousness of the situation and leaving God out, making decisions on the basis of what seems to be right or wrong or what's the easiest way out. Very important, not only in critical junctures like that, but the truth is every day when we awaken in the morning, we ought to be saying, now, Lord, show me your will for my life today. Make me sensitive about the people I meet. Help me to be perceptive about the things that are going on around me. And show me your will for this day step by step. And when we're willing to do that, he's there. He's there to enable us, no matter what we're going through. 
And then finally, I'm wondering, Pastor Stanley, about measurement of performance. You know, uh, many of us in the workplace, uh, we will have a semi-annual or annual meetings with our immediate supervisor who will take a look at things like uh, our attendance record, how we interact with fellow employees, deal with customers and clients and things of this sort, and then help evaluate us. And we'll note the areas where we are excelling or, or achieving our goals and outstanding performance, uh, areas where maybe we're just satisfactory, other areas where perhaps our performance is unsatisfactory. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're really hitting the mark when it comes to serving God and achieving the goals and plans that He has for our life? I think so often many of us will try to compare where we're at against other people and say, well, gee, you know, I'm, I'm just a pastor of a small church and I only have 75 members in my congregation, so God must be dissatisfied with me because, gee, the pastor up the block has got 800 members. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're actually on track for what God's will is for our life? First of all, is my heart clean? Am I thinking scripture? Am I thinking clearly? What about my schedule? What, how am I spending my time? And Am I using it uh, wisely or am I wasting time? What about my relationships? How very important they are in my life. And as a person goes down each one of these, uh, it gives them a time to think through where they are in life. And I think this has to happen many, many times in life, not just at the critical junctures, but I can think in my own life, oftentimes, right before God has uh, given me some instruction about something, uh, that to make a change, that's, I, I would have this feeling, I just need to give some time to the Lord and get in His Word and be quiet mm-hmm. and say, Lord, I want you to examine my heart. I want you to show me if there's some area here that you want to change. And if there is an area of change, and most of the time there is something going on, then He's going to show us what it is. And he's not going to show us judgmentally, but he's going to show us to encourage us and to remind us that the change that needs to take place, he will enable us to do it. In that way, we keep progressing in life no matter what. And it it strikes me that it takes us back full circle to one of those key points that you talked about in the beginning of our conversation. Uh, This sense of a clean heart, a clean mind, a balanced schedule, and the willingness to surrender. You know, sometimes we'll go before the Lord at one of these critical junctures, or just when it's time to to sort of refresh and renew and, and check in with God, so to speak, to make sure that we're on track. The willingness to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to seek your face and your answers for where I'm headed next, and I might have some thoughts and desires in my own heart to understand that I need to surrender even that, and sometimes if we if we say before the Lord, gee, God, will you do this for me or take me in this direction, that if God gives you a no answer, that that's still an answer. That's exactly right, because his no answers are answers for our protection and for our guidance and for our good. No's are not always bad. Again, reach your full potential for God, never settle for less than his best by Thomas Nelson. And the book, again, available at bookstores. In touch with Pastor Charles Stanley each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And more information about both the book and Pastor Stanley's ministry on the web at intouch.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. On smart speakers and the Odyssey. KFAX, San Francisco, Ohio.
A service of Salem Media Group. Streaming now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.